14. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 226, or 126, of <laughs> uh, 40 going on 14. I am Mike. I am Patrick. <laughs> I'm Joel. And I'm Josh, and I had no idea what to expect out of the Gambit movies, but I expected quite a few more exploding cards and Cajun accents than I got. That's not to 2017. Wow, you uh, went there, huh? Yeah. Where else can you really go? Yeah, that's about it. I mean, you can't do, well, like, chess move jokes. That's not funny. Yeah, yeah, I actually... the rest of my show. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know where I go when I want to find jokes about chess moves. I know where you don't go. Yeah, I was going to say, this is the point in the show where I usually uh, force a transition to talking about our podcast network. But uh, uh, we're we sad now. The podcast network, uh, Musings of a Geek, has uh, closed its doors. On a good note, on a good Gone note. belly up. Yes. Yeah, it's not like everyone got cut uh, unemployment checks and went home. It's just uh, a g- good thing has come to an end, and we'd like to thank everybody from the Musings of a Geek podcast, as well as all of the other shows. Uh, of course, a special attention goes to Dark Angels and Pretty Freaks, History of Bad Ideas, and everyone's favorite defunct sports show. The Left Field, the Sports, left field Lounge. Sports Lounge. Yes. Had to say it one last time. Yeah. But yeah, thanks, Musings crew, for a good... Jeez, we've been with them for close to two years. Uh, about a year and a half, yeah. Yeah, we, we kicked on... Four soda for them. Yeah, right about episode... 30, 40, right around there. Yeah, we've been with them for a while. So uh, on that note, we are... Um, Free agents again. Yeah. yeah. The ball. They helped us boost the signal, and that's how we met a number of all you fine people listening now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you'd like and to listen to... Some fine ones. I'm gonna if you'd like to listen to the rest of our shows, uh, you can always <laughs> do so on iTunes, Stitcher, TalkShoe, Blueberry, and other fine Blueberry. podcasting directories, including soon uh, Google Podcasts. Yeah, and you can also still find us on Geek Life Radio, Saturdays at noon, after the stick twiddlers, but before the turnbuckle throwbacks. That'll be 12 o'clock noon. Ooh, that's right after parasailing. <laughs> that's a terrible name for a podcast. Oh, uh, but yeah, this week uh, we're doing uh, Gambit, the original 1966 with sexy Michael Caine and two <laughs> <laughs> and silent Shirley MacLaine. Silent Shirley MacLaine and 2012 with um, <laughs> the unfortunately not silent Cameron Diaz. Yeah. Well, wait for it. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk about it. We'll get so there. We've got Foppy Colin Firth. So we've got some listener feedback. Uh, no voicemails this week, but uh, we've got an email, I hear. Yes, from Joe Abarino. Uh, How do you hear an email? If I read it to you. Ah. Yeah, you're about to find out. <laughs> dum, dum, dum. All right, so uh, our astute listener, Joe Abarino, uh, he emailed us and said he has an idea for a show. So said the new movie is Wild Card 2015, starring Jason Statham. It was a direct-to-video deal, but it is a decent flick. Here's the blurb. When a Las Vegas bodyguard with lethal skills and gambling problem gets in trouble with a mob, <laughs> he has one play, one last play, and it's all or nothing. But it turns out that it is a remake of 1986's Heat, starring Burt Reynolds. And the IMD blurb about Heat... Uh, is a Las Vegas is the backdrop for the for all the torrid action of heat as Burt Reynolds plays a soft-hearted bodyguard who's out to protect his friends. Yeah, yeah, uh, gonna <laughs> protect him. Yeah, gonna do it. Last dash and all. Yeah, stop Yo, it. I'm Turd Ferguson. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. <laughs> That's a good idea. 
We're down yeah. from Bur- I'm always down for some Burt Reynolds. Yeah, I, don't, I, I enjoy We haven't Statham. covered Burt Reynolds at all, actually. Haven't we? No, no, no I don't think we ever have touched on anything he's done. No. Uh, there's all sorts of big actors and whatnot, even stuff that's really important to us that, uh, like, misses the format because it uh, is either too new and didn't have it then or was awesome then but doesn't have a modern equivalent. Yeah. So, but that's, You know what fits the format? The prisoner. Right. <laughs> <laughs> is, that, is Burt Reynolds in that? <laughs> Not as far as we know. Uh, if you'd like to leave us feedback or show ideas that don't include the prisoner, you can give us a call at uh, 708-669-9727. That's uh, 708-NOW-RAP. Or shoot us an email at 40go14 at gmail.com or reach out to us on Twitter at 40go14. Yeah. It's uh, all true. It is. So uh, is it about that time? Uh, Yes, I believe it is. This week in music, movies, and TV. Yeah, and um, what? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so this week is 1966, the release of the original Gambit, and this week's twee will be done by Patrick. Hey! Since right. I wrote them, and I don't want to. There's no. <laughs> you don't want yeah, what? I don't want to read them again. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, music, My Love by Petula Clark. It's a good song, actually. I it like, is. I like Petula. It is a good song. Is the number one song in the land, but will be beaten out in the end as the acronym of the week. T-B-O-T-G-B. That would be the balls of the ghost butler. <laughs> uh, Mike Tyson's mystery is all over again. Yep. That's, yeah, that's, that's far too similar to what I had in mind. Mine was uh, uh, the ballad of, of the gorilla balls. <laughs> it's always got to have the balls. Yep. The By Sergeant Barry Sadler, which obviously is the ballad of the Green Berets, correct? Green that is correct. Yeah, Sergeant Barry Sadler did not have a whole lot of hits. That was kind of easy once I got to that point. <laughs> that was either that or it's raining men. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or his cover of Jump. Christ. <laughs> you know what's funny is uh, Chris Cross's Jump came on the radio the other day. I'm like, <laughs> fuck, it's still better than Van Halen. <laughs> anyway, Barry Sadler takes the number one spot for the year. It even beat out Winchester Cathedral. Oh, God. Now it's stuck in my head again. <laughs> I was trying to whistle, but I, I was laughing. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. God. You just got to put it in post, Mike. All right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right. February 6th marks the birth of one Rick Astley, known for being surprisingly white despite his non white voice. I'm, okay, I'm done. He sounds a lot taller on the radio. Well, wasn't it wasn't it um, Sinbad had him on the show, and when he showed up, he was like, I thought you were a brother. He did, Sinbad did not know that he was white, and not just white, but like transparent. Yeah, nobody until <laughs> they saw him. Yeah, Woo. And then he right. rolled him. Movies! Uh, I know it's too late for the week, but it had to be mentioned. January 20th is the release of The Ghost and Mr. Chicken, starring Don Knotts. I don't think I've yes. ever actually seen that. Oh, I have Mr. not Chicken. either. The, the title pretty much sums up the whole thing yeah really you're well, not missing it, out on starring anything. don knots that gives away the rest of it yeah <laughs> it's no uh, seen, private eyes i've are seen there, enough of it to know that it's not as good as the apple dumpling gang are there balls in it i think i know where he's going with this do you remember was it were either of these two with with us when we went to the video store for this i don't think so when we went we went to i forget the name of the video store over on madison but we went out there and we were looking for the private eyes with don knots and uh, harvey corman and the only circle video yes and they only had a porn version of it they didn't (laughs) and we're like people were clamoring for a porn version of something harvey corman was in well that's the thing is that they handed it to us and we're like does this have don knots in it and then we got kicked out (laughs) (laughs) it's got don butts in it i worked there 
I recall. Circle? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for like a year and a half. Hmm. <laughs> we were living together at the time. <laughs> I don't believe you. This is <laughs> this is some right. great radio right here. Moving <laughs> on. Moving on. Uh, February first, we see a true star for the ages silently enter the void. Buster Keaton dies at the age of seventy. Oh, the train actually oh. caught him while he was <laughs> yeah. trying to yeah. put the tracks down in front of it. You know what? Say what you want, man, but that guy he he did all of his own stunts and almost died. Died in several of them. Oh yeah, Buster Keaton was one of the original Hollywood badasses. I mean, he oh, yeah. he was he was he was the king of Hollywood in his day. Yeah, that that whole that one. I forget which movie it's in, but where the wall of the house falls out. Yeah, oh, and yeah. he's just standing in the window. They were like trying to talk him out of that one. We're like, they're like, dude, this thing weighs like two tons. It will kill yeah. you. And he's like, nah. Yeah, I see, think you it, see what happens when it does hit <laughs> you. When uh, in, I think it was Jackass Three when it they tried to do the same stunt and it landed on Johnny Knoxville, almost broke his back. Oh well, actually, it did hit him. In yeah, the, it hit Buster Keaton. Yeah, it hit, and he, like he broke his collarbone when it smacked him. But uh, he wow. apparently he got where the window was a little bit off. But the whole scene in <laughs> the the train scene, the train, uh, the one where he's in the standing in the front of the train, he's taking the uh, the rails and knocking the other uh, pieces of wood out of the way with it. That I mean, the guy's physical comedy is amazing. He was yeah, and he was really doing that. That's why I had that as my go to joke for how he died. Yeah, because he almost did there. Uh-huh. Yep. All right, moving on to TV. <laughs> Uh, a TV star fades into the night as Mr. Ed is canceled on February 6th, closing out a five-year run of Talking Horse Antics oh, and Wilbur. That was me and Josh's jam, man. Yeah, absolutely. I, I believe we've mentioned before on the show, we would drop whatever we were doing when Mr. Ed came on and rushed back to the room to turn on the TV. Even talking to girls. Yep. <laughs> Man, hey, I got an idea for I got a movie idea for an action movie. It's silent. We're like like an old school like silent film with all the the titles like they hold up the title cards for people talking. We'll call it Silent but Deadly. Yeah. Oh, I thought you were gonna say your idea was silent, and I got excited. (laughs) (laughs) You can go to hell. That's like a hundred mile slap. Just <laughs> <laughs> uh, moving on. 1996 in Great Britain sees the origins 66. of what TV show, Mr. Joel? 1966? I bet yeah. I know. 1966. Yep. The Prisoner. <laughs> <laughs> Incorrect. <laughs> what? Doctor Who. That's what I'm saying. No, that was 63. Uh, that was my guess, though. No, that's what it said on Wikipedia. <laughs> Wikipedia is wrong. It was 1963 well. was Doctor Who. <clears throat> Same year as uh, uh, Star Trek. Really? The original Star Trek. Interesting. Oh, yeah, look at that. What the I fuck? know which one I like. What the hell did I read? I don't know. You, <laughs> Wicca Nodia. <laughs> I, um... But I, I appreciate the Who. I'm sure I would actually love it, because, I mean, it's right in my wheelhouse. I just never watched it. What? Doctor Who. Oh, your yeah. anyway. wheelhouse. Sports. Sports. The AFL and the NFL add on some more franchises as the Miami Dolphins and Atlanta Falcons join the crowd. The Atlanta Falcons. <laughs> In October of 1966, the World Championship of Orienteering <laughs> is held in Fiskars, Finland. What? Orienteering. What is that? What, what is that? What is well, I figured we hadn't had a completely, you know, I couldn't find anything on cricket. We haven't so had cricket in a while. It is a family of sports that requires navigational skills using a map and compass to navigate from point to point. That's awesome. That's what I was going to joke that it was. Yeah, there are a lot of exactly what it is. Is there a lot just of how pathetic that sport is? That it's just what it sounds like. And the the um the international orienteering flag is just as boring as that. It is actually a square flag bisected diagonally with one side white and the other side orange. A little dot that says you are here. Yep, pretty much. <laughs> 
Oh, there's Waldo. Okay. It's it's in it. All, all jokes aside, it actually is a pretty cool thing to learn because you get you can actually learn how to like navigate on a map using just a compass through the forest type of thing. Um, but see, I told you, Mike's sports were weirder than yours. <laughs> Yeah, if I don't have my GPS, I could barely make it out of my house. Yeah, I used to be so good at finding my way around places. Now I'd get lost so easily if without a GPS. Yeah, they've spoiled everybody. Wait, where am I? Fiskars huh? in, in <laughs> Finland. That's where, where the scissors. Fiskars, Finland. That's where the. That's where the. That's where the scissors come from. <laughs> Mister Fiskars. That's a lot of porn. Anyway, all so. right. Well, that's this weekend. No, 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 no. So there you go. <laughs> I don't like that end song anymore. Don't like that? All right. So this week we watched um, Gambit. Yeah, we were kind of inspired because the remake has Alan Rickman in it, who just passed. And this, both of them are kind of forgotten gems. Like I hadn't even heard of them, let alone seen them before we started getting ready for the show. I had, I well, I had also worked in a video store and had always seen Gambit on the shelf with um, the original one. Well, obviously, but um, with Michael Caine. <laughs> That didn't even dawn on me. It's like, well, why didn't they have the other one? <laughs> it's gonna, it's gonna be an easy night for you tonight, Pat, huh? Yeah, no shit. I'm so tired. And so we watched the, uh, we watched the original one, and this is one. This is an unusual one because none of us have seen either of these. So Correct. It's, it's a rare yes. thing that, uh, you know, that we've watched these. No, that you know, not none of us have seen it. <laughs> so um, this is Gambit, 1966, directed by Ronald Neem. Neem, I'd say, Neem, yes. I'd go with that. Just to clarify, we have seen them now. Yes. <laughs> yes. We, have, we, we didn't just both. decide to, like, make shit up after reading Wikipedia. Yeah, no, no, no. So, uh, we this, saved that for the tweet. <laughs> yeah. This guy, um, Ron Neem, is a director known for things like uh, Noel Coward's Blythe Spirit, which I know I think one of us has been in, haven't we? Not me. No? Nope. No, me. I remember when it was on, but put yeah. on, but we, we weren't in it. We weren't in it? Okay, well, no, Blythe Spirit. We all have, we all have heard of Blythe Spirit, but he also yes. directed the Poseidon Adventure, uh, 1970s Scrooge, um, the Seventh Sin, a bunch of. I mean, he's got a lot of classic movies that he's he's directed, including Prudence in the Pill, which he was uncredited for. So I really kind of want to watch that one now. I'm not An sure. Alan Smithy film. Yes. So, um, but yeah, so it was directed by Ronald Neem, written by Jack Davies, uh, as uh, screenplay wise. Uh, Alvin Sargent, who also wrote the screenplay to the Tobey Maguire version of Spider. Man, all one, two, and three. Huh? Yeah. So Did he, he do anything in between? Uh, oh, yeah, quite a few things involving like <laughs> Richard Gere. He's done What About Bob? He wrote the story for that. Oh. Uh, he did Ordinary People, um, A Star Is Born, Paper Moon, the TV series, and the screenplay for the movie. I didn't know that there was a TV series, Paper Moon. No wonder his name sounded familiar. Yeah, I mean, he's done a lot of really great stuff. Um, <clears throat> but in most recent thing, let's see. Is he related to Dick Sargent? I, I don't know where you're going with this. Just, is that oh. an, an honest question? Oh, no, I don't know. Uh, he's still around, but he was born in 1927, and the last thing that he did in uh, 2012 was, shit his pants. was the, <laughs> the Amazing Spider-Man. Well, thanks thanks for keeping us classy there, Pat. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I've seen The Amazing Spider-Man. He's not wrong. <laughs> I mean, what do you expect? The guy's born in 27. He'd probably, oh, he probably thought it was a documentary. So, uh, and also, what? it was written... He thought Jonah Jameson was the hero of the story. Yeah. So, this is... The story of Gambit itself was written by a guy named Sidney Carroll, who also wrote, this, wrote the screenplay for the movie The Hustler. Yeah, I was going to say, Sidney Carroll's familiar as well, but I believe as an author, and he wrote mm-hmm. the original story, had nothing to do with the film. Yeah, he wrote, wrote the original short story, but he's he oh. wrote uh, The Hustler also, and the Count of, a TV movie of The Count of Monte 
Christo, and he's done a lot of TV stuff. Um, not too much movie-wise, but you know, he's got some good credits. You know, stuff written for uh, Alfred Hitchcock Presents back in the fifties, uh, and Steve Canyon, the TV series. You know, Steve so Canyon, Steve Canyon, as in like the old comic strip. Yeah, huh, yeah, and Sidney Carroll was like an old-school contemporary of Ray Bradbury, uh, like that sort of writing for pulp sci-fi mags. Yep. So uh, in this one, 1966 Gambit, there is uh, it stars Shirley MacLaine, a very quiet Shirley MacLaine as Nicole <laughs> right. Chang, uh, Michael Caine as the one Harry Dean in his uh, Cockney mode. I guess very it is always sexy him. Sexy fashion. And uh, <laughs> Herbert Lom as Ahmad Shabandar, Shabandar, the richest man in the world. Um, Roger C. Carmel, Arlen Moss, but the only other person who really makes sense in here to talk about would be John Abbott, who is uh, Emile Fournier, who is also in things like Gigi, and he did a voice in the Jungle Book for Walt Disney. I'm trying to remember which one he did. Well, Roger C. Carmel is one of those character actors that you're like, oh, yeah, I know him. That guy. But, yeah, that guy. but you wouldn't like purposely rent a movie just for him. Oh, yeah. He, John Abbott, he did a voice of one of the wolves in uh, in the Jungle Book. So he's like a character actor. You know? Very much so, <clears throat> yeah. 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 Roger C. Carmel's probably best known as being Harry Mudd from Star Trek. Exactly. Yeah. Ah. There are actually a lot of Star Trek. This is in the trivia for uh, for uh, Gambit. There was actually a lot of Star Trek uh, uh, links in this one. Yeah, there were. So, but um, keep going on that. We, well, Herbert Lom. Uh, if you don't recognize that name, you will know him as in the uh, the sergeant. Sergeant, but he's from Big the, sergeant the, from part from uh, salute <laughs> from the old Pink Panther movies. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. Guy Herbert Lom, who keeps trying to kill the Pink Panther. Master of the Slow Burn. Yes. I think that was some of his best stuff. And that's actually kind of cool to see him in something that he wasn't playing that, you know, that twitchy-eyed guy in again. So it was kind of cool. But, um, yeah, in this uh, star, in this uh, this one, Star Trek actors, Robert C. Carmel as Ram uh, was Harry Mudd. Um, John Abbott as Emile was in Star Trek Errand of Mercy. Arnold Moss as was the executioner in Conscience of the King. Vic Tabak was a plainclothes officer that was also in a Star Star Trek episode, and Tanya Lamani was the lighter fluid saleswoman and uh, was also in Star Trek Wolf of the Fold. So we had one, two, three, four, five different people well, that were all in different uh, Star Trek episodes in this movie. Consider when it was made and Star Trek was just starting out, you know, yeah. makes sense. Good character actors for your background stuff. So uh, there is 50% of the trivia on this movie. Well, uh, everybody knows <clears throat> Mud, man. If you watch the original oh, yeah. Star Trek, he's one of the characters yeah. you remember. Oh, completely. And uh, well, for some reason, this is in trivia that Herbert Lom was cast without Shirley MacLaine knowing it. I don't That's know. That's weird. Like, I don't know if there's history there. It there sounds must. like there's more of a story there. Yeah. Yeah, there must be something behind that. But we'll cover that in our later on. We're in our Herbert Lom show. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, we're doing a sh- Damn it. <clears throat> now, I found that this movie had a very minor resurgence because this is a favorite of Quentin Tarantino's. Really? And he'll do film festivals where he tries to resurrect forgotten films that he loves. And this was one of them. Huh. So... Well, you, sexy Michael Caine, you can't go wrong. <laughs> no, you Plus, really can't. you get to see Shirley MacLaine be very bendy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, let's let's get into talking about it, because at the beginning, well, you've got... Uh, you know what? Hold on on that, because I want okay. to read. There's one other bit of trivia that I have here, and it actually will... It, there is a connection okay. to later. The first draft of this screenplay was written by Brian Forbes in 1960, and originally was designed as a vehicle for Cary Grant. He dropped out of the project. It got rewrote a bunch of times, and eventually decided to make the girl the central character and Shirley MacLaine was then signed for the lead. And after seeing the Ipcrest file, which is another Michael Caine movie, she suggested Michael Caine and then they rewrote it again to accommodate Michael Caine and being his cockney 
attitude to it. So this one went through a whole bunch of rewrites before it finally, you know, and different actors playing the different play, the uh, different actors playing Harry Dean before it finally came down to its solid movie that we saw. So keep that in mind for later. Okay. All right. So. So at the beginning of Gambit, you're in a bar in Hong Kong. And Harry Dean and Emile Fournier are watching the showgirls, and they're focusing on one in particular, this girl, Nicole Chang. And uh, they're discussing and conspiring, and Harry Dean uh, uh, it makes some oblique reference to she's perfect, she, uh, indicating she's a key part to whatever scheme they've got going. And he brings her over to the table. She's silent and elegant. They lay it out, and uh, it immediately cuts to... Uh, uh, them going over to, I believe it's India. Mm-hmm. To see and Shabba very, Ding Dong. Very quickly, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> it's They go through this 20-minute heist where he, she is uh, Shabadar's wife's doppelganger, and mm-hmm. this is going to be used as bait so they can get into his apartments to check out the security and so he can steal this bust of another historical figure that shared uh, the countenance of both Nicole Chang and Shabadar's dead wife. Yep. So in the uh, it, I think it's looking through. There's a full 30 minutes yeah. that go in the movie before Shirley MacLaine speaks one word. Yeah, and I was wondering about that choice because, like, I mostly know Shirley MacLaine as the crazy grandmotherly lady with the past lives. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, and her psychic friends. Yeah. And I was just like, what are they doing? She's not pulling this off at all. Well, you know what? I, it wasn't until afterwards that I realized why she was silent. And, you know, after you, you watch this movie, they go through this whole this whole thing get out of india steal the statue and the 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 uh whole scheme works i realize the reason that they don't they have her in not speaking and staying in this prim and proper form is that they have no idea what she's like right that's the thing is harry dean and they make this an explicit point which we'll get back to in the remake is harry dean sees the world as he expects it to be and that's true of both versions of the character Mm -hmm. and it's revealed that the flawless heist that we see in the first 30 minutes is just a this is how I think it's going to go and then we're back in the bar with Emil and Harry looking at Nicole before he walks up to her mm-hmm. which and when I oh sorry oh, I was <clears> just gonna <throat> say that that was I was like wow okay now I'm interested yeah well when we- I first well, I watched the the remake first so uh, it, what was funny is I didn't even catch that it was gonna happen again because even after watching the remake I'm watching it and I'm like wow this is going off really smooth and I'm not putting it together for some reason and they get to it at the end. I'm like, wow, well, that was a short movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was thinking. I was like, There's gonna, something's got to happen here. This movie's going to be like boring for another hour. Right. And I was like, well, maybe they're going to do a second. Maybe there's more to it. Like there's another heist. And then that happened. I'm like, oh, they even got me after I already knew what was going to happen. Yeah. Well, and this is the second time we've done a heist movie with Michael Caine. Mm-hmm. And the first one didn't go so well for Michael Caine and his crew. Now, if you want to refer back to our Italian Jobs episode... Yeah, it like, seems like he's playing almost like if it would, might be the cousin of that right. character. So when the heist was going too well, I was like, okay, when this goes south, it's really going to go south because you don't join a heist job if Michael Caine is playing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is what we've learned. Uh, yeah. Unless there's Mini Coopers. So oh, that's a different movie. Never mind. No, that was the same movie. No, that's the same no, movie. The Mini Coopers part worked and then they uh, went off the side of the cliff. Right in the bus. Mm-hmm. In the bus, yeah. That's Stupid. Right. Yeah. So dumb. I like that movie. 
But anyway, we're not talking about that. That ending was idiotic. Shut up, Pat. We're talking about this. So the, the, I think the cool thing that made this, like, uh, the transition from one side of the movie to the other, where the perfect heist going off in Harry Dean's head to the reality is when Shirley MacLaine gets off the airplane in his head, she's prim, proper, this perfect makeup, looking exactly like Herbert uh, Ahmad Shabandar's wife. And when she steps off the plane, everybody stops to look at her. The reality is no one cares. <laughs> Right. <laughs> and even when she comes over, like she's brassy, she's uh, talkative, she's flighty. She is not the like perfect, silent puzzle piece that he thinks she's going to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's got spirit to her. Yeah, she's talking back. She's a little sn- a little snappy about it all, everything. She wants to know what's going on. She actually has some sort of like reservations about stealing something from this guy. And this, the whole scheme goes wrong in his head because honestly, Michael Caine is a terrible plotter. He got all of his information out of a 10-year-old magazine. Sure, but we're by the end we find out he's not as bad as he appears. No, definitely not. But he um in this where I mean you Herbert Lom, Ahmad Shabandar has this persona of being a a recluse. He never leaves his apartment. There's pictures that he has you know, of his apartment in these magazines. But when you finally get to meet him, he's like, "Yeah, I took all those pictures for the magazine just to give this public image of myself, but He's actually this really shrewd businessman. Yeah. And I noticed in general, Harry Dean's imagination is also a little racist. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Just a little, yeah. Like the guy who first meets them at the airport has a giant turban and an even bigger handlebar mustache. Mm-hmm. And, and then it's just like horribly, overly, sensitively, amazingly <laughs> positive about everything. Mm-hmm. Oh, Yeah, that's... like everybody was Middle Eastern stereotypes. And I was buying it because it was 1966. So right. I was figuring, okay, the movie's being racist. <laughs> the movie's being 1966. So right. But um, but yeah, when he gets there, it's like, you know, where's my where's my limousine to pick me up at the airport? And the hotel's like, we don't do that anymore. What are you talking about? You know, we uh, oh, well, I'm, I'm, he walks up to the counter and demands his room. They're like, yeah, hang on. You know, we'll get to you in a second. So all these images that he has in his head are just completely dashed to pieces as, as his scheme falls, I mean, little by little falls apart by, in his uh, in front of his face. Yeah, he's like, I'm going to have supposed to have Dean or dinner with Shabandar. He's like, oh, you'll have lunch. He's like, what? Like, I, don't, I don't want to have lunch. I want to have dinner. Right. Yeah. And the simplest part of the plan, not, not even like dealing with Nicole, just like getting his counterpart on the phone. Yeah. He can't do that. Yep. So yeah, every time, every time. Uh, and then when he tries to remedy that, he ends up, it, everything ends up getting worse because he gets split apart from his partner. Well, not from his partner, but uh, um, uh, well, John Nicole. Abbott, Emile Fournier is trying to call him on the phone. He gets, keeps getting pushed away from the phone because this other people are using it and they're just not you know like uh harry dean calls emil and the i thought i thought it was hilarious because the guy picks up the phone goes i do hangs up the phone and picks up the phone again and dials his own number (laughs) he's like i don't care who's calling here i have a phone phone call to make and it's like a good god it's i gotta be a good half an hour before he find mike uh michael kane harry dean gets over there to find out what the heck happened to emil and they're being tailed by two people that like to Fondle what? what Fondle it? trinkets. Yes. Why are people that follow other people always fondling trinkets <laughs> at the purple at the purple booth? So little by little, everything falls apart on him. So we've got all these different things that are happening. Then he gets split up from Shirley MacLaine, who actually does something smart and finds Emil and finds out what's going on with everything. So, well, over and over, she keeps proving herself as more competent than he is, mm-hmm. which makes him more and more aggravated every single time it happens. But more and more in love. Really? Spoilers. What? It's 66. <laughs> yeah, it's true. She has to fall in love with him. 
So well, he has to fall in love with her. That's true. Yeah, I mean, she seems into him like from the beginning. Well, he's Michael Caine, sexy Michael Caine. <laughs> this is true. So they go back to Ahmad's place for lunch, and it looks absolutely nothing like the magazine. Not just like, hey, we moved some furniture around, but like it's not even the same color anymore. The elevator doesn't work the way they, that showed in the magazine. And you know, Ahmad Shamadar says, you know, it's like I changed it all immediately after. Immediately after that was printed, I changed the entire place. So Michael Caine's entire scheme to get into the bil- into his apartment later on is shot to hell because he- Herbert Lom has everything in all the way from like light uh, the light beams to protect the statue to entire uh, elevator rooms because he loves gadgets and plus he sees them coming he he checks <clears throat> out uh, Lord Harry Dean's credentials and finds out he's an imposter mm-hmm. uh, he has them followed like all this stuff he didn't think of and he just assumes that he's going to be able able to ambush and take out with his bare hands uh, the bodyguard. Right. And by the time you see he can't handle a phone call, it's like, oh, when he gets to the bodyguard, <laughs> he's screwed. Yeah. I, I was, remember thinking that when they were doing the, the run-through before you find out it's, you know, just the run-through. I'm like, man, he kind of <laughs> kind of took that bodyguard out real easy. Yeah. Well, it's like when I was commenting on that when I was watching it to the chat, and I was like, he just assaulted two people in the first ten minutes. What the heck? I was like, this is a totally different movie from the remake. Yeah. <clears throat> Michael Caine in that at that time could have done that, but yeah, just so, with his sexiness. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> so he um it's as the entire movie goes on, you find out that Nicole Chang, Shirley MacLaine, saves his bacon so many times. You know, like to the point where, you know, we can't get into his apartment because he's not inviting us there and then they wind up on a boat. You know, we're gonna have lunch on my boat. And she charms Herbert Lom into saying, Can we see your apartment? Oh yeah, sure, I'll bring you back there later on today. You know, so she actually is the one who manages to get get them back into the apartment. She's the one who uh you know comes to warn Harry Dean when she realizes that Shabandar is, you know, down on things. Basically, everything in his plan that doesn't go right, she makes it work anyway. Yeah, right. Right. Exactly. So... I don't know what that is. I don't know okay. either. <laughs> Everyone else is hearing that. Yeah, okay. okay. Yeah. I thought I was going crazy. <laughs> I, thought, I thought something really agreed with what I but said. Means, Thank you. <laughs> oh, that just means we have to turn the page on the book. We'll have to do one of those shows at some point. Yeah, turn the page? No, or do one of those books where you turn the page when it goes doo-doo-doo and it makes a noise. Anyway. <laughs> we didn't all have fancy books when we were growing up. Yeah. Oh, I didn't geez. have an electric book when I was I had to turn my kid. own pages. <laughs> We didn't have some, we didn't Joel's have Butler turn the page for him. Yeah, we didn't have sexy Michael Caine to turn our pages for us. <laughs> Should have. It was awesome. And go do 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 do. Michael Caine went do 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 do. So, if you pay him enough, he will. Yeah, well, yeah. sure he will. Well, not now anymore. After he's Batmaning, Batmaning it up. Um, Batmaning. Yeah, Batmaning. It's Batmaning day. Nothing Is can go wrong. Peyton Manning. I love that movie. Anyway, so back to the movie. <laughs> Yeah, she she literally like makes everything all right, which once again is what I think kind of turns it to where he falls in love too. Yeah, even though she she's cares. flighty and she's got these unrelated stories and she's not completely down with the plan, she doesn't cooperate, she barely listens. But her charisma, like I, I gotta say, young Shirley MacLaine was hot. Yeah, yep. and bendy. Yep. Yeah, and a lot of it wasn't just physical attractiveness because I thought she looked old and kind of funny looking when she wasn't talking and then her personality came through and i'm like this girl's gorgeous mm-hmm. she really was i mean she had a great personality she had i mean she had a i don't say but a a self-assurance to herself yeah 
That's competence. a good word. Yeah. So she yeah, had, she had that plucky kind of Mary Tyler Moore thing going on. Right. You right. got Moxie. I hate Moxie. <laughs> so she's a hell of a dame. No, spunk. That's that was the the line. You, you know, got hate, spunk. You can write that spunk. from Circle Video. <laughs> So wind up with the plan as many as times as it zigzags out of the way, it kind of goes in the right direction. So it winds up with Herbert Lom and his uh, his uh, general friend, Colonel Colonel friend, one of his one of his military friends, wind up at with Shirley MacLaine at this restaurant, and Shirley MacLaine at this point realizes that uh, Michael Caine is getting set up. That he they, he they drop these hints. They kind of she picks up on the fact that uh, Shabandar knows that Harry Dean is going to try and steal the statue. Absolutely. I mean, I, it was obvious to the audience that he saw them coming and was half playing along because he underestimated them, and half playing along because of uh, Nicole Chang's resemblance to his late wife. Like well, he wanted he to spend says, more time with her. Yeah, he was still intrigued by her, but you know, he, he didn't. Yeah, he, yeah, he, he had, figured he would just stay a couple steps ahead of them while they were trying to do whatever they were doing. Well, he even says at one point. I want to see how this plays out. Because the guy's like, should we just, should we put a stop to this? He's like, no, I want to see how the second half plays out. Yeah. So she runs out of the meal with... I didn't uh, read ahead in the script. I want to know what's going to happen. Yeah. Exactly. She runs out of the out of the restaurant from Shabandar, heads over back over to Michael Caine, and who is in the process of stealing the statue by getting around these light beams by bending the bars that are above this cage that the statue is kept in. And it seems like he doesn't really have any plan after that. Yes. Nope. I'm just going to bend these open and then, I don't know, I'm I'll wing it. I think inside. he thought he was going to squeeze through, but uh, he was underestimating how long it was going to take to bend them wide enough for him to get through. Yeah. And it was also just not a good plan, because, no. I mean, even even she almost, like, tripped into him, and I don't believe that, in reality, anyone would have been able to do that. What, to be able to get in there? To be able to get into that tight space without she, setting those alarms off. I thought he was going to, like, lower something down and grab it and bring it up to himself, not, like, send somebody in there to, like, lift well, yeah. it up. He, he lowered down Shirley MacLaine, who folded literally folded herself in half. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's just a horrible plan. Like, well, and this thing, what would have happened if she hadn't shown up? You know, so been, that's what I'm saying. He would have set the alarm off. And so, so she, what? Did, I can't even imagine. I'm trying to remember how she did. What she looks or lifts her one leg up to her knee, or right, one leg up puts, to her forehead. She and, slides one leg in and the other leg out. Right. And then she and like then one scissors. leg in and then the other and leg out. She basically scissors the cage. Yeah, right. and, and gets in there. And then I don't get why he he tells her he loves her and then makes her run through the bar. Run through. He the doesn't. Lights. She did. She got so excited that she wanted to go and kiss him that she yeah, ran she, through. Okay, she got excited. I was. I thought he was like because yeah. because. Because I had read about the uh, a chess gambit being the sacrifice of one piece to try and save the king. Frequently the queen, yes. Or the queen. Yes. And my thought was is that he was sacrificing her, and he was going to take off and ditch her. Ah. See, that's I thought I that was happening, too. I, I thought he had, you know, was running a scam on her the whole time, too, and just going to let her take the fall. But the gambit is at the end. Right. When the guy shows up and starts throwing cards. When uh, Abdul shows up. That didn't have bad... <laughs> so Why does he sound like he's eating a peanut butter sandwich? Because he is. Joel can only do that impression while he's eating a peanut butter and jelly you sandwich. You didn't know that about Burt Reynolds? He's always eating peanut butter sandwiches. <laughs> he was Mr. Ed Standin. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I'm a horse. 
So after the alarms go off... Yeah, it's just they call him Mr. Burt. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Michael Caine makes it that, sh- that Nicole Chang can get away. Yep. She darts through the door, down the elevator, uh, up through the elevator room. What in the hell made them think? <laughs> made him think, like, yeah, just just go get on the plane. Nobody will recognize you. Nobody will stop you. Yeah, you just what? look like the dead wife of the mo- the, <laughs> the guy who owns three quarters of the, of the entire city. But, but your hair's different, so we're good. Yeah, you just put on a hood. You'll be cool. It's the Superman principle. Yeah. Well, uh, in the meantime, Shabandar's uh, secretary, uh, Ram comes in and looks, sees that the statue is gone, does not get upset about it, but then goes to a secret door, presses the button, opens it up, and shows the real one. Dun dun dun! They've been oh. they stole a copy. So. <laughs> Michael Caine, who Michael is hi- sexy Michael Caine, sees this happen because he's hiding behind a sliding bookcase, yeah. which gave absolutely no cover whatsoever. Well, it covered everything but his eyes. Yeah, and his penis. Quick his fast forward penis. to him, to him leaving. <laughs> so he takes off and uh, meets up with uh, Shirley MacLaine. Meets up with Nicole at the airport, where everybody is looking for them. She and uh, he tells her, "Just get on the plane." She gets stopped. No one will recognize you. Yes. He, she gets stopped by uh, Shabandar's guards, take her back, and Herbert Lom, Ahmad Shabandar, explains to her, look, it was all fun, but <laughs> you, we really didn't expect you guys to steal anything. And not only that, but Shabandar checks the uh, hidden compartment and realizes that the real statue isn't in there. It's been swapped for the fake. Right. The copy and now is he's in there. pissed. Yeah. So he totally underestimated Harry Dean and Nicole Chang for pulling off this uh, heist. And now he's like, all right, if enough is enough, give it back and we'll be cool, is basically what he says to her. I'm sending you out to, to Harry Dean. You tell him, give me the statue back and everything will be fine. Yeah. And he hands her a dossier all on him and says, the. Uh, stuff included in this file will help you make your decision on what you want to do with him. Right. And that was an interesting bit, which just paid off pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. So she gets to hop on a plane and uh, follow uh, Harry Dean, meet up with him. And the whole time she's there, she's reading this dossier on the crimes that Harry Dean has committed in his past. Finally gets up with him, and it's like, the conf- there's the confrontation. Where's the statue? He swears up and down that he does not have it. Yep. <laughs> okay. I was. I was, I was afraid I got disconnected yeah. or something. Yeah. Yeah. So she, he swears that he doesn't have it. She doesn't believe him. He's trying to prove it to her. In the meantime, we cut back to Ahmad Shabandar, who finds a note that says everything will be exposed by Buddha's head. Cutting back, referring to a statue that Emile Fournier was trying to sell to Ahmad Shabandar in the very beginning, that actually held all of Harry Dean's thieving tools in it. They discover that the head comes off, and after a little bit of knocking, that's a lot of. You can discover a lot in these old movies just by going (laughs) they discover that the original the real bus that they tried to steal is hidden in the base of this buddha yeah so now we cut to what really happened Uh, and it's a clever bit of filmmaking because we realize that in every incarnation of the heist we never actually see harry dean put the statue in the bag that we assume it's in yep right you see him carrying a bag but you don't realize you you just assume that it's got the statue in it right and uh the entire time the plan was never to steal the head it was to hide the head so that the newspapers would uh pick up that the head had been stolen as uh shabandar is tearing apart the planet looking for harry dean however they placate shabandar by leaving the actual statue there but already get buyers on the line for another clever forgery as it's revealed that emil is the person who made the fake that is in shabandar's gallery in the first place and he didn't just make one he made another 
Right. So now they're going to try, now that the, the fact that Shabandar is not going to let it be known that there was a fake the whole time, and he's keeping that secret, resting on the fact that everyone's looking for this statue, but he has it, and he can kind of keep out of the press by doing this. They try it's, to, a, it, it's honestly a perfect scam, because <clears throat> the people that buy it know it's stolen, and they know they can't really report it or tell anybody about it, and so you can sell it, like they said, you know, like they had three different versions of it left. You know, I mean, you can sell it to several different people, because none of them can tell each other that they have it. Well, we don't we don't know about the other three versions yet. Yeah, the final <clears throat> twist is yet to come because when Nicole finds out about the plan, uh, she reveals that what was in the dossier is that Harry Dean has never cr- committed a crime in his life, and she basically does a "you have to choose your life of crime or me." And uh, in a show for his love and in the ability to get the girl, he grabs the fake uh, bust and smashes it on the ground, proving that she's more important to him than his crazy schemes. And it can be. Right. Now, I was expecting a little bit more reaction from Emile Fournier after he destroyed this work of art that he had worked so hard on. Yeah, <laughs> so, I saw it coming at that point. Yeah, at that point you were like, because he's kind of like, uh, it broke. So Nicole, Nicole Chang <laughs> and just, Harry He just Dean, looked defeated more than angry. He was yeah. like, ah, A thousand-year-old uh, clay that I sculpted by hand to be a perfect copy, and you right. just threw it away for a girl. You just threw it down for some tail. But she could bend. <laughs> so, uh, Dude, if you'd have been there and seen that bending, you'd do it too. <laughs> You didn't see her get in the cage, man. Um, so Nicole and Harry skip off. Happy. Do, 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 do. They're happy in love, in love together. Emile Fournier sighs, watches them go off, turns, unlocks a cabinet where he has three more copies of the bust waiting to be sold. Yep. And I believe that Harry Dean, this was his plan all the way along. Like, it's revealed that it was his idea to sell the copies. I think Harry Dean knew that there were three more, and he was going to take everything. He's going to get the girl and get the money. Yeah, and that's kind of what, like, was an inside joke between the two of them. When he said, I'll reimburse you for the money somehow, he's like, I know, basically he's just saying, he's like, I'll give you some extra money out of one of these others we sell for the money you're losing out on the one I just smashed. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, I thought it was a clever twist at the end. I, I agree. I was like, yeah, that was nice. I like that. Yeah, it was almost two hours to get there. But you it's know, worth it though. It, I yeah. think so. Let's let's come around. I mean, did everybody enjoy this? Yes, yes, I did. Yeah, I, I you know, it's light 1960s entertainment. It's uh, a twisty heist movie, but like, even though it's not like super deep, every facet of it works. The comedy works. The romance works. The heist works. Yeah, I mean, the it's cast not, is well is well cast. Yeah, and that's I think I think that's what we learned is like in the the level of heist for the heist movies at this time, like when we watched. Ocean's Eleven isn't as complex as we expect it to be in the 2000s. I mean, this was an enjoyable, this was a fun, almost like a popcorn-y heist movie. It was a lot of fun to watch. I enjoyed it. I thought the twist at the end was pretty cool. I, you know, I always enjoy watching Michael Caine, no matter what he does. And Shirley MacLaine was, I was surprised by how well she played off uh, the character of Nicole Chang. Yeah, and, it's and a- all the characters were, were pretty well-rounded. There weren't any two-dimensional characters, even even like the, the, a small part, like the colonel, they gave that guy some personality. Yep. It, yep. It's a perfect Sunday afternoon after you've had like brunch sitting down in your easy chair and just watching something that's not too too much to think about but enjoyable and yeah i had no expectations when i walked into it and i uh i left feeling really satisfied i enjoyed it quite a bit oh yeah i, I, I just realized something you know um talking about the characters like that i was like it's the exact opposite of what they were what they did in the first 25 minutes in in the harry dean his little fantasy life or fantasy thoughts of how the heist was going to go all the characters were like ultra two-dimensional stereotypes characters 
caricatures, and then it, you know, and then it, it actually became like a very realistic movie and well done because all the characters were exactly not that. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I think that uh, despite the fact that it is kind of light entertainment, it boggles my mind that this isn't considered a classic. Yeah, I can't believe I've never heard of this movie before. Yeah, be good. Yeah, I was I was surprised. I'm not one to. I mean, I like a little bit of everything, although you know everybody associates me with horror or Doctor Who, but um, it's not too often that I'll be like, you know, I'm just going to watch some random movie from the 60s. And every time I do, I'm always like, wow, that was actually really good. And yet again, the only thing that that was uh, better than this than, say, like Ocean's Eleven is there was better uh, security, you know. Yeah, no, no screen, screen doors. doors. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you can't defeat the whole the entire casino with a can of spray paint. Yeah, yeah, putting it up against the other 1960s heist films we've seen, it might not be as serious on the heist angle as the Italian job, but I think just as a movie, this one was the best of the three, like comparing it to uh, the original Ocean's Eleven and the original Italian job. I, I enjoyed this more that, than yeah. either. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I think yeah. a lot of that was carried by Shirley MacLaine. Yeah. Absolutely. It had a very uh, strong first, second, and third act, and you didn't feel like, as Pat I think would say, you feel cheated by the end. Right. Um, and it was solid. It, would, it was no points in it where I was like, oh man, what are we doing? Come on. Well, and even Ahmad Shabandar, like the temptation would be to have the guy they're ripping off be this cartoonish bad guy, but he was charming, he was sympathetic, and you really get a sense when it's revealed that Harry Dean is not quite the screw up we think he is. Uh, when he's pulled the wool over everyone's eyes and he says, how about we call it a draw? That there is a begrudging respect for what has just taken place mm-hmm. across the globe between these two men. And you end up liking all three of the principles. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it wasn't like Shabandar's like, oh, well, you know, they got the statue away from this jerk. It was like this guy, you know, he knew what was going on. He didn't turn him in. He was curious. He was curious to see how everything was going to happen. And everybody was playing each other, but it wasn't like a cutthroat play. It was just like let's see where this goes and then at the end when they you know he did get a little you know toothy when uh they he thought that they stole the original one but you know it was that you know hey look i could have got you here's your statue back we good we good okay cool and you know (laughs) i mean contrast it with the casino owner in the modern oceans 11 like he would just screw them over because they dared cross him right right so yeah, so uh, I think across the board, this, I think did all four of us like this one? Oh yeah, awesome! All right, so, so uh, to the break. Yeah, we're gonna take a break and we're gonna come back and we're gonna talk about uh, 2013s. Twelve. Twelve? No, twelve. Yeah, 2012. Um, Colin Firth and uh, Cameron Diaz joint. <laughs> yeah, with Alan Rickman uh, taking the uh, spot of uh, uh, Herbert Lom. Yeah, Shabandar taking over the Shabandar role. So yeah, we'll be back in just a bit and uh, talk a little bit more about some more heists. We are back, and we're ready to talk about some more Gambit. Ah, mon ami. No, I think you're getting it wrong again, man. I thought Pat was going to make the joke. Oh, okay. Well, Pat makes jokes? No. I thought he just giggles randomly at things. I do that, too. I offer many surfaces. (laughs) Giggling randomly is just one of them. Exactly. Another is shoe tying. (laughs) (laughs) So, all right. So, for this one, we watched uh, the Colin Firth version of Gambit, which came out 2012. And uh, with, uh, you know, like I said, Colin Firth is Harry Dean, another British gentleman uh, acting out the British character. And this one also has Alan Rickman as Shabandar. And rest in peace. 
yes. He was phenomenal, by the way, in this. Well, and Nicole Chang is replaced by P.F. Posinski and Cameron <laughs> Diaz. Posnowski. Well, Posnowski. P.J. Really Posnowski. What's yeah. really interesting about this is they had a series of challenges. Though, I actually think that Cameron Diaz <clears throat> is probably as close as you're going to get to a modern-day young Shirley MacLaine. They've got the same sort of really super bubbly personality. Um, they're both very good-looking, um, but the, the charisma shines through to the roles they play. But basically, you've got a couple problems. Cameron Diaz is not Shirley MacLaine, <laughs> and uh, Colin Firth is not uh, Michael Caine. Mm. And also, we are many years removed from the British colonial history with India. Right. right. So what are they right. going to do now? So, so, yeah, those three things have some very serious ripple effects in how they had to rewrite the remake in order to have it make sense in a modern context. Yeah. So well, this let's one... also not forget the fourth problem, that people need to stop trying to make Cameron Diaz do accents. <laughs> well. <laughs> we'll, get, we'll get to that. Okay, so this one's... I want to talk about that, damn it. We will. We will. I promise. Eventually. All right, fine. Okay. So this one's directed by Michael Hoffman. I uh, directed Midsummer Night's Dream, 1999, the one that had Stanley Tucci as puck awesome yeah was actually pretty dang good yeah uh the cohen brothers wrote the screenplay and obviously Sidney carroll we already talked about in the previous part of the show wrote the short story for it now this is where things get weird remember i talked about how it went through several rewrites from being uh, written for carrie grant to getting right. rewritten and rewritten again right. so <clears throat> producer mike lobel saw the original in 66 and in 1997, who, when he was at Universal, suggested remaking it. So this is 1997 now. He saw it in 66, said, let's make another gambit in 1997. They sent it to Alan Sorkin to be rewritten after they was, was originally set up, and but he was busy with West Wing. He couldn't do it. So now they had mm-hmm. this script. Aaron or Alan? <clears throat> Alan. Oh, I thought it was Aaron Sorkin. No, Alan Sorkin. Aaron uh, but, is the one who did West Wing. Well, I guess I wrote that down wrong. <laughs> Damn it, Wikipedia. No, curse you, Michael, and your typing skills. All oh. right, so... Um, but then they try to get Reese Witherspoon to star in it, but she's only going to do it if Mike Nichols or Robert Altman directs. Which hmm. Mike Nichols makes sense. Robert Altman, maybe. Yeah, I could see. Well, yeah, but she won't do it. So they're like, no luck there. So then the, this script is just sort of floating around for a, a decade or more. Bo Welch is getting is then slated to direct with Colin Firth, Jennifer Aniston as Poznowski, and Ben Kingsley as Shabandar, which would have been an interesting mix. Mm-hmm. But then Bo Welch made the cat in the hat, and that turned out to be <laughs> shit. So they're like, you don't get to play with anything anymore. You go sit <laughs> in the corner. Career. You know, you're you're done. You go, you sit in the corner, and when you're when you've learned your lesson, you let he, us know. He still sends hate mail to Mike Myers. Yeah. If you've directed two broke girls for a year, we'll maybe let you do another project. So you in the thinking about it, I don't think either Reese Witherspoon or Jennifer Aniston is a really good analog to Shirley MacLaine. No, I don't think Jennifer Aniston is. I not a big not a big enough span uh foon span spoof fan. <laughs> I started saying. I started I saying. Hey. I saw. Started trying to say fan and bread Witherspoon, and I said span. Mike had a stroke. He Mike did. is not a big spoon of Reese Wither fan. I think is what he was trying. <laughs> That's to exactly say. what I was oh. trying to say. So oh, Jesus. Well, it's because I didn't do the tweet this week. I got to get it out somehow. <laughs> so in the meantime, after Bo Welch gets punished for for the Cat in the Hat. Alcon Entertainment picks up on it, and they want to have Gerard Butler in this playing 
Harry Dean, which maybe, eh. but he's Scottish. So, but that, okay. So fine, whatever. And there would have been more explosions. But, um, and a lot more shirtless scenes. This yeah. is Gambit. <laughs> So now they want to have but Gerard Butler line to play Harry Dean, but they also want Richard Lagarvanese. Is that right? Never heard of him. Never heard of him. Have you heard of the Fisher King? Never heard of him. Never. What? <laughs> He's kidding. Okay. Um, filmography on him. The Fisher King, The Bridges of Madison County, Unstrung Heroes, The Horse Whisperer, Water for Elephants, Beautiful Creatures. He's got a good string. I mean, his second movie was The Fisher King. So he's got some good stuff uh, that he's worked with. Uh, directing. So Lagarvanese Le- Richard. I'm not saying his last name again. It decides that he wants a script polish, which takes a long time and takes out a lot of the stuff that the Coen brothers had originally written. So then they stall the project again. 2008, they ask Colin Firth, are you going to be playing Harry Dean in the remake of Gambit? And he says, no. They set it on IMDb, it's on there, and it's just there. He also said that the Coen brothers wrote an absolutely brilliant script, and then 2012, they make the movie uh, after they had also tried to make it with Hugh Grant and Sandra Bullock. So yeah, fuck everything about that. Yeah, but I mean, uh, just in another, it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's like this is whole curse in this movie that you cannot get this movie made unless you rewrite it six times. Right? Didn't you see two two weeks notice? Same movie. With Hugh Grant and that was, it wasn't the same movie, but it was. <laughs> I don't like it. <laughs> I'm no, still it wouldn't have been say, the right characters. Regardless of the consistency of her performance in this movie, you take the four actresses that they're talking about. Cameron Diaz is the <clears throat> best analog you're going to get to a young Shirley MacLaine of the four. I can agree with you on that. Of the four that are there. Yeah, and I'd be hard-pressed to come up with somebody else who has that same kind of, like, super spunky, over-the-top cheerful personality. Mm -hmm. Happy about everything type of thing? Yeah, as her shtick. And that has been her shtick for most of her career. Who's a bog? (laughs) What? Joel was going for the least, like. Mm, Oh. There you go. Sorry, cut that backwards. So, so yeah. So now. and Mr. Bean. Aubrey Plaza. (laughs) Aubrey Plaza. That would actually, Aubrey Plaza, this isn't going to work. <laughs> I don't know why you're doing this. So Just stab him. Here's the first thing I got out of this when I this fired this movie up. One, there were a lot of titles in the begin- very beginning. <laughs> there were more than there should have been. Cause I, and then I, after reading on how many hands this passed between, it makes sense now. This was a movie by committee. Kind of. The animated opening titles, though, that was something I hadn't seen in years, and I thought that was a welcome throwback. I was exp- I, I thought, thought they were forcing Pink Panther on us. Yeah, yeah, there's a, little... a very, yeah sorry. I was just going to say, there's a little bit of that, but Pink Panther, while the most famous example, this was a thing in the 80s yep. where you would have many like versions of, almost like how in Shakespearean days they'd have the play run through uh, by weird guys in masks right before you're about to see the play. This was a thing in the 80s where they'd do it with cartoons in the opening credits. One Crazy Summer. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, better Off Dead. Yes. Well, and then even more so, they got into the crazy credit stuff later on, like with uh, like when Seven was in the 90s, when they got like into those really in-depth, where the credits was a whole other part of the movie almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. the credits are doing more than just telling you know who did it. They're also telling a story. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And this specific version of the credits where it's animated characters doing a dumb show of the film was something that I hadn't seen in years and thought was cool that it came back like 20 years after it fell out of favor. Mm-hmm. Well, I can think the last time I saw that was in uh, Catch Catch Me 
if you can, the Steven Spielberg mm-hmm. movie with Tom I was, Hanks. Yeah. I was thinking that earlier. Yeah. yeah, very similar. But anyway, go ahead. So this one fires up with the major, played by Tom Courtenay, uh, in this. Uh, I'm trying to remember what else he was in that, that we would recognize him in. He was in G, not GG. He was in, who was in GG? Somebody was in GG. Uh, he was in Dr. Zhivago. Lots of people were in yeah. GG. Yeah. Good Golden Compass. He's a character actor. So he's playing mm-hmm. exactly what he's supposed, what he plays in this. Uh, Colin Firth is Harry Dean, but the whole story is being told by the major's idea. And he's talking about how Harry Dean isn't looking to pull a heist for money. He's looking to pull a heist to humiliate his boss, Shabandar, who is played by Alan Rickman. <clears throat> so, and through this, you see that Alan Rickman in this is not a, for as charming as Herbert Lom was in the original, Alan Rickman is just a dick in the very beginning, the first act of this, shouting well, at again, people. Well, that's again, that's almost, that's Harry Dean's vision of him, because all the major knows about Shabandar is what he's heard from Harry Dean. Uh, from Harry mm-hmm. Dean. Oh, yeah. good so point. So you've got that, you've got that Dean vision going on as as you see Alan Rickman acting as Shabandar. So Alan Rickman is, is a multi-million made by publishing his logo is this lion and he's basically playing alan rickman he's had it he's um, i've had enough of this crap i'm done with it he just is like fed up with everything no matter who's talking to him except for cameron diaz well and i think <clears throat> some of that is also harry dean vision and he kind of explains the reason he treats dean like that basically because dean lets him he is not impressed with him because he thinks he's kind of dim he's spineless and that's probably the thing that makes him respect him least mm-hmm. if harry dean had stood up to Shabandar at any point in his career, risking being fired, he probably would have had a better relationship with his boss. Yeah, I can buy that. And that's the thing is, this version of Harry Dean is a very different, it's a more proper paper British character. The sort of like Arthur Dent, uh, someone who is very clever, tends to follow the rules, and intends to get his revenge by being clever and following the rules. Right. And I, I like that I like that correlation to Harry Dent. It's a guy who's, who's put upon and wants some sort of payback on the whole situation. But so, he's also a little bit <clears throat> inept. He's book smart, but he's not real street smart. Oh, yeah, and he's oh, totally definitely. out of his depth with regards to his plot, just like the original, where he thinks it's going to go one way, and we have that run-through where it's how Harry Dean imagines it, and then we get to the reality. Mm-hmm. So in this one, you've got the object is not a... Um, a statue. It's a painting by Monet of uh, straw. It's like straw in the morning and straw at dusk. There's two different versions. Haystacks. Of haystacks, yeah. Haystacks in the morning. <laughs> Shut up. Haystacks are made out haystacks of... Haystacks, dawn, haystacks, dusk. Okay, you remembered something. Thank you. I'll send, no, that, I'll, they're, I'll send they're you a famous ribbon. Paintings. That's a I thing. know they're famous paintings. Sorry. Go ahead. No, I was no. done. I was just correcting you. No? no I was just... I was straw, there... straw in the morning. Okay. So yeah, instead so. of trying to steal a statue, they're trying to sell a fake version of a painting that's been lost for decades. Mm-hmm. And they trace it down through uh, Cameron Diaz's, P.G. Puznowski's uh, line, finding out that during World War II, her great-grandfather takes the painting after storming a Nazi castle. Right, after or they at had... least he plausibly could have. <laughs> yes. So the idea is is that Sergeant Puznowski brought it back to Texas with him 
Yay, Texas. And it's currently this multi-million dollar valued painting is hanging up in a double wide in the middle of, what did he, did he call it, like, shit-stained Texas or something? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Shit-stick. Yeah, shit-stick Texas. <laughs> Living in the home of Cameron Diaz and Cloris Leachman, who plays Grandma Merle. Oh, my God. And it's just amazing in most... that little five minutes she's on screen. <laughs> yes. She doesn't really even speak. She just, they're like, Cloris, can you play a psychotic grandmother in this scene? And <laughs> She is bad, bad Santa. Do that. Yeah, again. basically the same character. Mm-hmm. Yep, except she dips this time. Yeah, <laughs> that giant bucket. <laughs> She's got like a three pint ice cream bucket that she's spitting her spitting the dip into. It's like, <laughs> and, he, and the whole time, Colin Firth uh, are just like they're trying to remain proper through this whole thing. It's like, is she okay? <laughs> so, and that is also after they go to meet her at the bar in the same kind of the same setup as. Um, as the original, where they go to meet her in a bar, and she turns out to be a uh, a rodeo hero, <laughs> rodeo star, <laughs> a rodeo hero, a rodeo, I'm rodeo hero who gets incredible man hands whenever she's actually on a horse. <laughs> even even Sophie's like the person that was roping that calf had really big arms compared to her. And I'm like, yeah, definitely a guy. Uh, so in this one, they wound up starting a fight, and Colin Firth gets punched in the face for the first time, which turns out to be a running gag to the. The entire movie yeah and definitely further distancing him from the michael kane version of harry dean mm-hmm. yeah he's definitely this like proper guy who is out of el- his element and gets himself put into a situation where people just want to hit him in the face yep so uh he winds up talking to pj poznowski and they convince her to come out and help them with this with this whole thing now, Poznowski is going to be staying with Harry Dean in his little apartment. Actually, it wasn't that little, but his in his apartment while this is going on. And shortly after they get there, she decides that she's going to exercise in the middle of the night by jumping rope. <laughs> right. Q, angry, angry neighbor from the basement, comes upstairs, does what? Punches, Punches Harry in Dean the in the face. Right. But so. she did look amazing in that outfit. I was going to say, as uh, Jay <clears throat> Witt would say, three thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <clears throat> she looked very good in this movie. I, I mm-hmm. do have to say. I mean, Cameron Diaz is one of those women to me that sometimes she looks really good and sometimes she looks really bad. And she looked really good in this movie. Well, and I, her performance may have been uneven, but her charisma was there. Like, yeah, her accent was not awesome. Mm. <laughs> I yeah I live in Texas as we all know and I don't know a single woman that talks like that down here. I'm not saying they don't exist. I just haven't run across any. Texas is yeah. Big. I mean I I I'm know pretty women, sure women <clears throat> exist over Texas and sure. even the ones out west. I mean I know some women that that do rodeo and I know like I said I know they exist but it is far and away not the common thing to have no. such a crazy accent that every one of your words is just changed somehow. You know. It almost seemed more of like a Paula Dean, deep Georgia, like yeah, g- mm-hmm. generic South. Yeah. yeah, right. So they bring her back. <clears throat> And they uh, they present her to Shabandar. Yeah, to and they sell expect this. that Shabandar is going to see the painting and immediately summon her and demand to find out if the painting's real. And he doesn't even notice. 
Yeah, I mean, he's uh, even even the, that whole scene where Harry Dean's like, "Hey, I was looking at the pictures from this magazine." And he's like, "Why? Yeah, why would you even look at that?" Well, I, I, I don't know. It's like it's in both situations they expect Shabandar to drop everything they're doing and pay attention, but in both of them they're kind of like, again, that Shabandar doesn't. It's that Harry Dean vision in this yeah, one. It's just showing you know that that they're not actually in 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 control like they think they are. Mm-hmm. Well, and the whole thing about him talking about horses and was just hilarious and then then he's like well do you want me to fly around he's like no just let her know if she's ever in the area just she can swing by and you know he's real like whatever i don't care i yeah. thought the best part about it was that shabandar used the line that dean used in his own fantasy in real life you know he's like, like how do you know it's not real because it's in a trailer in shitsville or whatever yeah, it's <laughs> right yeah <laughs> sitting in a double wide in Shitsville, Texas. It's like... <laughs> and both <clears throat> versions of Harry Dean have one thing in common. They have a pretty good plan, but they have absolutely no <clears throat> ability to plan B or improvise when things don't go the way they expect them to. Right. Yeah, the, yeah in both movies, his improv- imp- improvisation skills are very weak. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's like, whose line is it anyway? Gen Con. Everybody but us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so... Eventually, they wind up getting Cameron Diaz and uh, Shabandar together. Hey, that's oh, hey, she just happens to be in Great Britain. Who knew? <laughs> so they and they hit it off. You know, the whole time they're expecting Shabandar to be this jerk to Cameron Diaz's character, PJ Poznowski and Shabandar are sitting on the couch having a great conversation with a, I think they were trying to do a Peter Sellers type thing with the whole scene with Colin Firth trying to bring the chairs over. Uh-huh. There was, the, again, the punching in the nose running gag. Then there's the Colin Firth can't pick up a chair running gag. It's either too heavy for him to lift or he picks it up and the whole thing falls apart. You know, so that whole thing happens. And eventually Poznowski decides that she's going to go out and try and, you know, work with this and get Shabandar to uh, to sell it using this Texas charm that she has. Well, yeah, and very quickly, both versions of this character, the PJ slash uh, uh, Nicole Chang character, figure out that uh, Harry Dean has underestimated his opponent, and he's going to get himself hurt if he continues with his plan, so they start subtly undermining it, uh, and when they realize he's going to continue on, they fix, they patch over the holes in his plan. Right. Little by little, that's, they, uh, Harry Dean does not realize that Poznowski is fixing things up and setting up the gambit for him. So Poznowski and Shabandar go off. They spend a night on the town going out to dinner and um, enter the cousins of the two Japanese guys in Better Off Dead. Cousins. <laughs> Those are the uncles and the cousins. They they meet up with these Japanese guys and you find out there's a little bit of backstory on this the Japanese businessmen. Said apparently Shabandar outbid the uh, the um, CEO of this company on some work of art at one point or another just to be spiteful. And, you know, that was a whole scene in the very beginning where he flips off all the Japanese guys as he's walking away after he wins the after he wins the bid. So there's a little bit of uh, hate. Bad, yeah, bad <laughs> blood. is Bad is, blood, oh, yeah, right, between yeah. these guys. So And they have one translator that's doing this over-the-top, almost like a Japanese game show host uh, translation for them. Yeah, and while they're talking shit about him in Japanese to his face, knowing he can't explain it, and basically saying, yeah, the dumb Japanese guy routine always works on these idiots. Right. I like how then later they're like, uh oh, he's he's mad. Give him the Zen talk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Time to go zen. The snow <laughs> falls on the mountain. And then Poznowski just rolls with it and winds up inviting all these Japanese businessmen to Shabander's house for a party that he's throwing. It's in a, in a way, in a ruse of her own to get closer and to also solve his problem. Right. Potentially. So in the meantime, <clears throat> they had said that uh, Poznowski was staying at, what hotel was it? Oh. Savoy. Oh, there this was a Savoy. pun. There was a pun with the hotel that they said uh, that she was staying at when they were lying. Okay. so they, I can't remember the name, but yeah, yeah. she gets upgraded to the Savoy, and then we get one of the brilliant, brilliant bits of the movie. So she gets stuck in the Savoy because they have to keep up premises. In the meantime, Harry Dean is going bankrupt from her staying in the Savoy because it's thousands of dollars a night, and she's just racking I, up the bills. I didn't get why they had to put up appearances <clears throat> that she was staying in. A, I mean, he already knew she was from Shitstick, and like this could be the only thing in their entire family worth anything. Well, but did he do it because he thought there's she could afford it, or just he doing it to stick it to Harry because he knew that she was probably he was probably funding it. Mm. I don't think he knew that he was funding it. No, I, I think there was a bit of she's putting a bunch of stuff on her credit card, uh, basically because she anticipates a big payoff. Right. A- and that was the ruse that they were going to continue on with. So <clears throat> Poznowski is in this hotel. She gets taken out of the room that Harry Dean has her in and gets put into another one that's paid by Shabandar. Before we get there, you're oh, skipping over what am I skipping uh, my over? favorite part of oh, okay. the entire film. I think I'm missing. Oh, uh, uh-huh. My favorite part of the entire film is a running gag that starts when she first moves to the Savoy and she starts having misgivings about uh, the entire plot and he starts threatening to sick the major on her. But the way they're phrasing things, it looks oh, like yeah. they're checking into the room to have sex mm-hmm. and he's going to punish her with the major, which immediately sounds like he's talking about his dick. <laughs> and she's going back and forth about the major and, and at one point, he's like, the major can't stand for this. <laughs> right. And uh, it j- builds up this idea, first, that he's bringing her there to have sex with her. And this running gag where the hotel staff believes he's this sexual legend as he does this weird French farce, <clears throat> constantly jumping in and out of different rooms without his pants. See, that's what I thought you were talking about, was the was the Harry Dean showing up in every woman's room with no pants on. It's, you know, it's like, don't get me wrong, in some ways... I think the first film was better, but that whole sequence mm-hmm. was the funniest thing out of all four hours. About him him going out the window and everything? Him going out the window and him uh, having to keep up appearances when the African-American couple comes into the hallway. Him go- coming out of one girl's room and asking uh, and explaining, oh, I was going for ice. Mm-hmm. And then he is coming out of PJ Panowski's room and she's in her underwear and he goes back to talking about ice because the same couple's in the hallway again. Yeah, in the meantime, the the front desk guy is talking to this one woman whose room he climbs into. Now, I thought this was this was my favorite part because they have this whole discussion about the major. Colin Firth try goes back upstairs to try and steal this vase that earlier on he commented that it's real. So he's going up to steal the vase to sell it to get some more money to keep this whole thing going. Right. Ducks into a storage closet and gets locked in there. Now, he climbs out the window, loses his pants going over this weird, like, spiky corner thing and still has the vase in the meantime uh, Cameron Diaz looks up as she's kissing Alan Rickman and sees him standing there on the ledge on the third third floor with no pants on 
Now he climbs into a room. This is this is the only part where I really laughed out loud. Where he's in the dark, the door gets knocked on, and this woman comes out of the bedroom, walks around, opens a door, and when they cut to the, you see the front desk guy who was standing there during the whole discussion about the major, and you see his eyes get wide and cuts back into the room, and there is Colin Firth standing there casually paging through a magazine with no pants on. <laughs> right. <clears throat> and then cut to later when he goes to the goes to Poznowski's room, knocks on the door for something, opens it up, and there's Harry Dean again, standing there just casually with no in, pants on. In his underwear, she's in her underwear, <clears throat> mm-hmm. and you've got the two front desk guys. That man's really something amazing. Yeah. <laughs> because then he goes, winds up going back out another window, winds up back in the first woman's room who was looking to get a hold of tickets to go to the ballet. Later, <laughs> the front desk guy comes back to that woman's room at the very end, opens the door again, and he's he's sitting in a chair behind him, just like... With still again, with no pants on. It's finally at that moment where the woman turns around and notices that Harry Dean is sitting there. And she get the best. I thought that was the best comment. Oh, is this room 203? (laughs) (laughs) And and in that entire farce bit, I kind of get the impression that though she's trying to say, well, maybe I like being seduced by Shavandar. Maybe you don't know everything about him. She's trying to make a point. Uh, He's constantly pushing her into situations where she has to get close and closer to actually sleeping with Shabandar to protect Dean. Mm-hmm. It's like she has to say, yeah, come into my room. Otherwise, Shabandar's going to turn around and see him. And then she has to say, yeah, I'm getting into something more comfortable. So Shabandar doesn't see him. Right. So she's always covering for him. It's not until the very end where they get into this fight, which I'm amazed that, you know, pants. Yeah, that Shabandar doesn't hear all this discussion going on, you know, while he's mixing up drinks. <clears throat> Cut to the next day, and, uh, uh, Colin Firth, Harry Dean gets his pants back, and they're now heading over to Shabandar's house to view and take a look at this painting to determine whether or not it is real. Now, in the meantime, we kind of skipped not, over the whole uh, Stanley, Stanley Tucci, Tucci thing. Yeah. Uh, Weber, who is the art um, specialist. Yeah, he's the art yeah. specialist. Basically, you've got PJ discovers that not only is the plan screwed, but Harry Dean's about to be fired. He's going to be replaced by this German guy from Cologne. Uh, who is another art expert who has apparently been boning up on Monet and uh, who has impressed Shabandar and who's going to be getting Harry Dean's job. Right. So I... He, I thought, he, I thought uh, Stanley Tucci was hilarious as this character, as always. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, and he, his presence at all also screws up another element of the plot because a key part of the plot was going to be that Harry Dean, as the art expert, was going to look at the forgery painting and declare it genuine so they could sell it. Well, obviously, if he's about to be fired and replaced by this other guy, he's not going to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. So, as they're as they're coming in, he tries to get ahead of this, and he, I'm guessing at this, he's just trying to get there ahead of uh, Stanley Tucci so he can I, I, ID it? Well, I think well. He thinks he's dealt with Stanley Tucci's character by suggesting that uh, Shabandar's company's in trouble. Right. He doesn't, Which is pretty clever. Yeah. He doesn't know that... Part of the reason why he's getting into fights with P.J. Bujanowski is that she's trying to protect him because his plan's way more fucked than he thinks it is. And he's going to be out of a job and the plan's not going to work. And she doesn't want him to also suffer embarrassment. Mm -hmm. 
So yes, yeah, right. so she's well. I mean, she gets tail, tallied off to go sing karaoke with the Japanese businessmen who have just showed up just to get drunk, right? <laughs> and eat all the food. <clears throat> she's like, "Have you ever heard of live karaoke?" Yeah, like, "Oh, karaoke." <clears throat> Then suddenly they all know English. Well, if you're singing a song, you can sing in another language. Yeah, I, I like how the one guy, like, he was good enough to pretend like he was just doing it phonetically. Right. <laughs> well, and that's the thing is in Japan, that is huge. Oh, yeah. Is yeah. singing songs in English, even if you don't speak a word of it. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so, yeah, so they're, they have that little Japanese side thing going on there. Now, they're all getting loaded little by little or a lot by a lot. And um, in the meantime, Harry Dean ducks up to the art area and is setting up his he's got his case for his tripod and he's setting up the uh, picture to be to be ID'd. Cut back to conversation between Shabandar and Poznowski. I hope to God he didn't go up there. I have a new security system that I just thought up, <laughs> which obviously involves a live lion. Right, because that makes sense. Yeah, that really bothered me for all the obvious reasons. Because mm-hmm. you can hogtie a lion any day. Right. Well, not, you... not to mention, like, it's just so easy to keep a lion and have no one at all know that you have a lion. Well, right. uh, we don't get to see Cameron Diaz scissor, so, you know, True. that. True, that would be nice. Yeah, <laughs> that doesn't right sound here. like peanut butter. <laughs> so, so in the meantime, Harry Dean is supposed to be IDing this. The lion shows up, and uh, Puznowski dashes up there to save him by. <laughs> Pulling down, I think it was like a curtain string, and hog tying a lion with a double granny, and there's no way he can get out of that, despite being a lion. Apparently, she gave him some Benadryl or something too, because he looked really sleepy. Well, yeah, because all you got to do is tie a lion up, and it just gives up. It's like, all right, yeah, you got me. I'm a big Wonder Woman fan, so I'm going to go with this. Suspension of disbelief. <laughs> come on. So. Yeah, I mean, it was one of the weakest parts of the movie. The well, whole I, would, I was kind of, I thought it was going to turn out to be a hologram, <clears throat> so I was with it until I realized, realized oh, no, that's just bad CGI. All right. I, I, I mean, I thought no, at least, it was a real lion. Yeah, well, I know. Was, in the story, it was supposed to be a real lion. They didn't put an actual lion in the room with Cameron Diaz and Colin Firth, Joel. Yeah, they no, they had footage of a lion, and then they had a bad CGI lion jump at them. Hmm. Yeah, and that was when I thought it was going to turn out to be a hologram, because it was so obviously CGI when it was coming out of I didn't notice. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> so, <clears throat> anyway, so then... Then they... Wait, do you think that Cameron Diaz hogtied an actual lion? I've seen it before. Didn't you see uh, Charlie's Angels too? Full throttle? No, I didn't see any of the Charlie's Angels. Oh, well, because I once you see that, them. you'll know. Anyway, so then they go and, uh-oh, Shabandar. Yes, Shabandar and Shabandar and Zayden Weber show up. Yeah, the big reveal that uh, he's decided <clears throat> to counter move against the your company's in trouble. All he did is make Zayden Weber demand two years salary up front which was clever on his part yes yep so zayden weber takes a look at the uh at the painting and determines that it's real well and i, I could i kind of was hard pressed to tell whether he was doing it because he wanted the job and wanted to screw over harry because he kind of gives him like that sideways look like ah, i know it's not real mm-hmm. yeah is he trying to screw him over on this or is he trying just trying to it, it, yeah i was a little lost on that part whether yeah. that was... i kind of think that he did not know as much about the impressionists as he claimed he got the job by falsifying his resume a little bit mm-hmm. and decided to, since it looked like Harry was about to uh, say the painting was real, he was just going to go ahead and say what he thought Harry was going to say anyway mm-hmm. to as his first task on the job. Right. Got it. Okay. So I, I personally, <clears throat> the way I took it was I thought that the major was just that good that he, fe- he even fooled the expert. 
Could be. And the only and the only reason that Harry Dean knew it was fake was because he knew it was fake. <clears throat> Because he's the one who faked it. Yeah. Well, I think the That's ending, the way, kind of, back. the ending where they look at the Monet and say, inimitable, makes me think that a true expert should still be able to see the difference. Right. Right, right. So then comes the gambit. Right. So Well, not yet. But. No, not so much. But Harry Dean steps forward to say, ha ha, bollocks. You are wrong, Zayden Weber, and pulls out some, uh, pours something on a rag and wipes it off and shows up with this <laughs> caricature of the queen underneath underneath the painting yeah revealing it as an obvious forgery which uh he should have determined if he was really the expert he claimed to be right and then i thought Stu- i thought tucci's reaction on it when he does that like gagging cry <laughs> i thought he had thrown up into his hands yeah <laughs> i did too i was expect i was expecting a little vom on that one too but uh so he gets he gets sent away in shame and uh, Harry Dean Shabandar says, ah, you're obviously better than I expected that you were. You showed some moxie and you, and you proved it. Your job, you have your job back. Harry Dean says, thanks, but no. Yep, I quit. And uh, basically, the forgery revealed Alan Rickman turns on PJ Panowski, who he's been seducing this whole time and saying, well, you're really no good to me. You're just a nobody from Texas. You should just go back there. Mm-hmm. And we have the grand declaration of I'm laying it all out there. I'm not going to sell you this painting. I'm choosing the girl. Right. Fast forward to the uh, trip to the airport. <clears throat> so Poznowski's getting back on a plane. They're having their little, oh, I wish things could have gone differently. To Harry Dean talking to Poznowski. Yeah, you know, it was really nice meeting you. Thanks for coming out. We'll make sure you get paid. I'm sorry that the flight back is going to be a discount uh, fare. And she's kind of making <clears throat> goo-goo eyes at him at this point. She is kind of. She's kind of impressed yeah. by the fact that he stood up for himself. You know, that he threw down with Shabandar at the very end. Now, but wait, she gets on the plane, he turns around and meets up with the Major. Now, Major has his, um, Harry Dean's, uh, what is it called, the tripod case over his shoulder. They walk through the airport a little bit and meet up with the Japanese businessman. This one I did oh, not hello. see. Hello. So, <laughs> yeah. What was so awesome about this is, yeah, like you were saying, even though it was a remake, I didn't quite see this twist coming. Basically, I was like, okay, they decided not to be racist towards Indians, and they decided instead we're going to be racist towards Japanese. That's because the filmmakers were playing a long con on us as the audience. The Japanese the entire time all spoke perfect English and all were in on it. Right. So the whole gambit was getting this painting away from Shabandar to sell to the Japanese businessmen so they can get their revenge on Shabandar for outbidding them on the art and the art auction at the very beginning of the movie. Yeah, we get another scene of what really happened. And you have Colin Firth's character, Harry Dean, after the line has been hogtied and PJ is running back to Shabandar uh, carefully and quickly stealing the real original Monet so he can turn it over to the Japanese for a big payday. Because mm-hmm. now... Turns out that, yeah, it, it, it turns out that Major has drawn, uh, has painted three. a Haystack's Dawn and a Haystack's Dusk replica, and they replace the Dawn and the Japanese guy. Ends ah, up. yes. There's the rub. And it's awesome because it looks like in the remake there isn't a heist at all, but we find out in the final moments that this was actually a heist movie. Yep, in the very end of it, you discover that the whole, the whole aim 
game was to get the uh, haystacks at dawn out of there and sell it back for that revenge for 11 million? Yep. yep. Oh, well, 10 million. 10, 10, 10. 10 million. And um, then they're like, you know what? We should do something good for her. And they upgrade her seats from budget to uh, first class and then talk about getting into sculpture. Yeah, and moving their con to Texas so he can go after her. Right. And, and the whole final twist is sort of an inversion of the twist of the first film, where in the first film, uh, you have it wasn't really a heist at all. In it, Instead, it was really a con. With this, <laughs> it wasn't really a con at all. Instead, it was a heist. Mm-hmm. This whole thing, flip-flop the whole thing. I mean, they, they really did do some decent changes to this. Now, here's a question. Given between the two, which are you going to watch again? Which would, I mean, if given the choice, you got to watch one of the two Gambits again. Are you going to watch this one or are you going to watch the uh, original again? I'd watch the 2012, I think, despite Cameron, not not because of, but despite Cameron Diaz's accent. Really? Yeah. You know what's funny? I think the original 1966 works better as a movie, but the entire awesomeness of the farce with the opening and closing doors and Colin Firth with no pants and the major and the desk clerk guys, like that whole sequence was so much funnier than anything in the original mm-hmm. that it's close. Like as a whole, the movie wasn't as good as the original but that moment that sequence was better than anything in the original true yeah i i agree with you on that oh, one wow it's a tough call you don't think what you don't think it's what's what's your take on it i'm just i'm just trying to think between the two i mean it's a tough call because they both had a lot of really great things for them on both sides and even though like pat says cameron diaz was smoking hot um you know there were some some flaws i thought that were greater in the the uh, remake than in the original in my opinion that i I think I would probably prefer the 66 if I had to choose. Is it the uh, sexy Michael Caine? Well, that and, and Shirley MacLaine's Bendy. So I think between those two things, I mean, <laughs> can't go wrong, man. And sexy Herbert Lom. He was pretty damn charming, wasn't he? Better, more charming than he was in the peanut, in the uh, the Pink Panther movies. But that's uh, definitely true. Yeah. So did you enjoy this one? Would you give this one a thumbs up or a thumbs down? Thumbs up. Think so? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm thumbs up on both. Yeah, I, I'm thumbs up. Although the original, I said, every facet of the original worked as a film. And that's not true with the remake. It's still good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's it's still, I mean, even if it didn't have, I think, honestly, if it didn't, it wasn't supposed to be a remake. I think if, you know, if it was just another na- another title for this one. I think I would. I still enjoyed it as a uh, a good heist movie. Although I will say I'm shocked that the original is not a classic. I'm not as shocked that the remake isn't a household name. Yeah, agreed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I will probably never see this again, and I never would have seen either one of them if it wasn't for this podcast. But I don't regret watching them; they were mm-hmm. enjoyable. Yeah, so thumbs up on both of them. Yeah, yeah. Well, wow, looks like we agree yeah. on all of this here. Definitely, that's crazy. Movie, neither none of us had seen either one of them. We both walked away enjoying both of them. Thumbs up. That's nice. crazy. That's a first. Yeah, and yeah. if you haven't seen them as the listener, by all means, like both of these are kind of diamonds in the rough, especially the original. You owe it to yourself to like spend an afternoon watching one or both of these. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I can hate it if you want, Joel. I mean, <laughs> no, no, I just I think it's like mark it down. <laughs> so uh, next week. 
So next week, uh, we want to take a look. We haven't done a video game show in a little bit, but instead of just focusing on systems or a specific genre, there's a type of game that we haven't focused on. And we want to talk about the handheld game, all the way from the original Game Boy up to the games that might be played on your iPhone or Android device. Now, are and we everything in between? Are we going to go all the way back to the old Game and Watch games? Oh, certainly. We'll talk about yeah. Game and Watch. We'll talk about electronic football. We might even talk about electronic chess, electronic battleship. But, like, we're talking handheld electronic games. Right. So uh, get your hands warmed up. Yikes. Yeah, here we are. There, we're back at that again. Um, get your hands warmed up. Uh, we're If you're looking for uh, other shows of ours, you're going to find us on iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, TalkShoe, and coming soon, Google yes. Podcasts. Nice. Yes. And, uh, again, if you want to get in touch with us, it's uh, 708-NOW-RAP. That's 708-669-9727. Or you can find us on Facebook and just look for 40 going on 14 You can also find us on uh, Twitter at 40 go 14 Awesome. Now I have Rest to go. Rest in peace, Alan Rickman. Yes. Yeah. You will be missed, sir. All things in, all things given, I still enjoyed Alan Rickman in this. Oh, and oh yeah, yeah. It was a lot more Snape ass than I was expecting. <laughs> Yeah, he's yeah, pretty great. That last twist with uh, Harry Dean uh, with, being right about him being a nudist. Yeah, that was pretty nice. funny. Yeah, if you have if you have a Snape fetish, you definitely need to watch this movie. <laughs> All, All right, right. Good, night. good night, folks. Good night. Good God. Do you want a moment to put that back? <laughs> uh, wait wait until I actually have a big belt. Okay. <laughs> All right, I'm going to dial 9-1. <laughs> <laughs> you let me know when it's coming.